Roger, Roger, Delta Niner, Niner. The Albatross is sleeping with the porpoise. The Albatross is sleeping with the porpoise. You are listening to another episode of the Kappa Walter uh, Underpants Rhinoplasty Theater of the Air. This is Agent Reinstrom. And this is Agent Brunel Brutman. Do you think we're, we're covert enough for this week's super secret spy episode, Agent Brunel Brutman? Uh, I, I think we could get even more covert. Wait, what, what is the, uh, the UN, the NATO alphabet rendering of our, it, uh, it's not Kappa. I don't know. Uh, we'll is have to like look it King, up. King Walter Underpants Radio? Definitely not. Are you sure you isn't underpants? You is absolutely not underpants. I am. Com- you don't know that. You're not a fighter pilot. I am completely 100% certain that you is not underpants in <laughs> the NATO phonetic alphabet. I don't even care. We'll, we'll, look, l- we'll look it up. We'll look it up later. We'll look it up. Uh, hello, everyone. You're listening to the K-Word Theater of the Air. I'm Agent Reinstrom. And I, of course, am Agent Brunel Brutman, and this as is our, mentioned. This is our spy show. This is our spy show. We are going to be playing for you uh, some Avengers Yep. Uh, recently, a couple of a, a, a good assortment of our friends posted on their Facebook walls that Joss Whedon was going to be uh, directing uh, an Avengers remake, and right. Dave and I both, and, and had both the of us same had the same reaction. reaction. Wait, like the '60s spy show? And everybody was like, "No, no. what is that? Comic books." They were talking about the Marvel superhero team, right? Like, which is, uh, I guess, like Iron Man and Iron Sergeant Man Nick Fury, and uh, I don't know, maybe Thor. What is Thor doing in there? <laughs> Thor has better things to do it's, than fight crime. It's comic books. Sorry. Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> You're right. I'm in sorry. In comic books, Thor is a superhero. Oh, man, it sucks to be a god in the Marvel Universe, doesn't it? Yeah, like that's what you're – you're degraded to like stopping perch sna- purse snatchers. Mm. I don't think that's what Thor actually does though. No, I, I, he, he throws Mjolnir and he beats people up. And the, then he retreats. Mjolnir being the hammer. Yes, and then he retreats to his home beneath uh, the volcanic Mjolnir glacier. Is, hmm? is the hammer the that he hammer. throws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mjolnir is the hammer. But the Thor hammer is... probably lives in... Uh, oh, jeez. Eja Fjatla. Oh. oh. Darn it. No, I'll remember. You, you <laughs> son oh, of I, a bitch. I was going to sneak it in. You were trying A-F-Yatla so hard, and I let you Yatla in. Kuttle. I let you in. Wait, I have to look it up. It's, this is the, um, it's this the, is the volcano in Iceland it's going off right that now. erupted and has grounded all the flights in Europe. And David learned how to pronounce it earlier today, and he will not stop saying it. I just, I just love it. I just love the intellectual superiority I get. Great. Say it with me, Dave. Eya. Say it with me. Eya. Fiatle. Fiatle. Kirtle. Kirtle. Good. Now let's Good. move on to now let's move on to other handy Icelandic phrases. Oh God. Yarsne Husen. Yarsne. Yarsne. Husen. Husen. Where is my boiled sheep's head? Where is my boiled sheep's head? Flefne. Flefne. Kirtle. Kirtle. Why the hell are you feeding me shark's fin soup? That's disgusting. You're making this up. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So, what do we have first up I today? apologize to all of our listeners of Icelandic descent. Although, ideally, the, um, the ash storm right now over most of northern Europe should be preventing this signal from getting out to you anyway. It's sort of like making fun of the Amish at this point. 
I can say whatever the heck I please because who's going to hear me? Wow, David. I know. Wow. I'm racist. What do we have first today? We have some Avengers. Uh, it, we're we're going to do the Avengers first? Uh, If you wanted to. Oh, no, unless we were going to do Nichols and May first. I thought we were going to do Elaine Nichols. That's fine. Sorry uh, to expose it, the machine. It, it, Elaine May and, and Mike Nichols. Yes. Um, Mike Nichols, better known as the director of uh, such films as The Graduate. And uh, oh, I forget what else he's done. He's done a lot of a lot of pictures. The actually. Graduate Two, the Graduating, <laughs> the the gratuitous. Now, no, Mike Nichols has done a couple of movies, a couple of high profile movies. Um, and and he in the fifties, he and uh, his his comedy partner Elaine May, who who does a lot, they do a lot of theater stuff. They do a lot of Broadway um, productions. Yeah. Um, they used to be a comedy duo, and so what we have now is a spy themed. Uh, excerpt from one of their albums, which is Nichols and May Improvised to Music. Yes. And I don't think we need much more explanation than that. This track is called Mysterioso. May I sit down? Yes. I've changed my seat. Because it was too warm. I always travel with the window open. It is dangerous to keep a window open. There is always flying smut. It is not dangerous if you keep your elbows inside. What did you say? Elbows. Elbows. E-L-B-O-W-S. And you as a grubby woman. That's right. You as a fat man. Yeah. Listen. The squat man is dead. What? He died in Newport. But I had a letter from the bald lady only yesterday. It couldn't be helped. Do you have it? Yeah. Give it to me. Listen very carefully. Smile. Thank you, conductor. I don't trust the conductor. He's very short. Listen, we have very little time. In one moment, we will come to the Norwalk Tunnel. Yeah. It will be dark for one and three quarter seconds. Yeah. Careful! The conductor is coming back. Listen. When we go through the tunnel, reach down the back of my collar over my clavicle. There is a ticket. Yeah. Take it quickly. Yeah. All right. We're coming to the tunnel. Yeah. (laughs) Shut up, you fool! You want to ruin everything! Do you have it? Yeah. All right. Listen very closely. Yeah. When you go... Yeah. Tells him I asked for no starch. No starch? No. No starch. It's impossible. It can't be done. It must be done. What about the cuffs? Never mind the cuffs, fool. But I have to specify. No starch in the collar. Smile. Why is he so short? Don't worry. He gets off the train at Bridgeport. Then his... One of us? Yeah. I should have known. 
you understand everything now? Yeah. No starch in the cuffs. Right. No starch in the color. Listen. Yeah. What about this spot? The train will stop at Westport. Someone yeah. is supposed to get on. Do you know about it? A good humor man. Yeah. Listen to me. Yeah. Go to the good humor man. Yeah. Order a pecan crunch bar. Yeah. If the spots will not come out, he will say, I have no pecan crunch bars. Yeah. Then, order a fudgical. Yeah, fudgical. When you order the fudgical, yeah. I will know that you will take the laundry with the spots. All right, now listen. Yes. If the fudgical melts onto my right trouser leg, yeah. it will be a sign that I need shirts next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, but that is impossible. It must be done. Impossible. Go quickly now, we haven't much time. All right. Smile. Very nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Have a good time at the flower show. I will give my best to everyone at the apiary. Goodbye, madame. Hello, sir. Hello. What are you kids doing here? We go to school here. Oh, well, well we should no, be listening to the Kilo Whiskey... What's you? Kilo uniform? Whiskey Uniform Romeo. Kilo 90.3 FM. Clayton. Word. Let's take a musical break. Very well. <laughs>
listeners. Would you make a promise to protect Missouri's trees and forests? A promise to help preserve them for everyone? Right now, the emerald ash borer beetle is threatening to destroy our trees. It lives in firewood, and when you move firewood, you spread the beetle and the devastation it causes. So promise you won't move firewood. Don't take it to your campsite. Don't bring it back home. Burn it where you buy it. Learn more and promise you won't move firewood at stopthebeetle.info, a message from the USDA and this station, KWUR Clayton, 90.3 FM. Kilo, Whiskey, Uniform, Romeo. 90.3 FM! Clayton. This is the k Theater of the Air. I'm Agent Ryanstrom. I'm Agent Bruno Brutman. And you're listening to The Spy Show. Spy Show. Spy Show. Lots of spies. Lots of very secret spies. All the time. All the time. Extra secrets. Yes. Do uh, not burn. No. Well, yes, burn after reading. Burn after reading. Damn it! This message will self-destruct. This message will self-destruct. What are you talking about, Agent 13? Agent 13? Oh, well, I guess he must have disappeared. That's the second biggest crater I've ever seen. <laughs> All right. So we're doing spy-themed show. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes, it is pretty cool. Spies are very cool. Spies are very cool. Once upon a time, though, spies weren't just cool. They were cold. Uh, because of the Cold War. Oh, I, I was going to suggest it was because they, they had no frozen. emotions. Oh, that that too. Because they were spies and they would love you and then leave you in a ditch with a bullet uh-huh. in your chest, I guess. Like a fired bullet or just like a like a bullet? Like, like, the like, they, they, like, like they throw you out of the car and they're like, here, take that. A lady spy would kiss you and then push you into a ditch. And as she pushed you into a ditch, she would like take a bullet out of her purse and, like, tuck it in your shirt pocket. And that meant that your relationship was over. Yeah. These are true facts from the Cold War. This actually happened. And here is another true real. fact from the Cold War. In my head. Um, they used Sputnik as a space relay station, and, and they had spies up there that they would send in rocket pods into America, part of, like, the deep... Deep space penetration program that we don't... Don't laugh, you prurient <laughs> little critter. How old are you, four? <laughs> I, think, I think we're getting into some dirty space news here. <sighs> dirty space news. No, the point is that Wayne Tuttle, a very fine man and longtime fan of the show, longtime fan of the entire K-Worth Theater of the Air family of shows. He's been with us since uh, Newsworthy Ghost Island, Dave. He has. Uh, Wayne Tuttle of, uh, of Klecky Records, of the Klecky family of recording artists uh, has been trying to get us to play music from from his record label for two or three years. We could never really find... We've been like having a, trouble fitting it into good excuse. It's like a lot of fun. It's novelty rock. Yeah. Um, and and they have, they have two different albums. This one is from um, their Beatles knockoff. It's, they're called The Modest Lads because they're really mod. They're more mod than anyone else. So they dug, you know, they dug up this... this uh, this album from I don't know some rubbish heap in Newcastle on Tyne or something, and it was <laughs> it was covered in mustard and they scraped it all off. Covered in mustard. <laughs> and uh, Mo and Timmy and Phil, I think, are the names of the modest lads. I don't know. Don't look at me. I forget. But I have no idea. I could be wrong. I could be this wrong is, there. This is an album called Trouser Load of Love. <laughs> so you can see After why we had, we had we had we uh, had we had some trouble trying to find. Um, time to play this music, but it is a lot of fun. You know the and the the, tra- the the track the title track goes. It's you got a trouser load 
of love. And it sounds like early Beatles, and it's fun and silly. But this song is called Sputnik Spy from Outer Space. And I think, you know, it's it's been a long time coming. So, Wayne, this is for you. One, two, three, four... modest lads but yeah no that's a that's a great album uh let's see there's other songs on there i'm trying to recall from memory they stand straight up when she lays down and uh let's see birthday it's all very naughty you see so so there was stuff that we just couldn't play on the air about about bosoms um but yes they had two releases there was the (laughs) trouser load of love and then there was let's get clecky which is the um the omnibus release um, from Klecky Records that had a bunch of other, let's see, um, Jackpot Slocum and the Texas Wranglers, I think. Um, Something like song that. song about a rooster named Ted um, that gets interrupted by a whole bunch of cows. Yes. And if you're interested in these fine tracks, you can go to KleckyRecords.com. That's uh, C-L-E-C-K-Y Records.com, one word. Yes. This has been a long time It'll coming, cool. I think, for Wayne. I'm I'm glad we finally got to talk about it, Mr. Tuttle. I'm glad that this is the K-Word Theater of the Air, and we're having a spy show! Spies! I was doing the James Bond theme. Oh, I was just yelling. <laughs> <laughs> I know. As is your want. Oh, crikey. You want to play the Avengers? Do I? 
What? Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, tell our listeners a little about the Avengers, David Ryan. Uh, the Avengers are also pretty mod. Well, Mrs. Peel is very mod. It's about it's about a lady spy and guy spy, and they do. Who, who's she married to anyway? That she's Mrs. I Peel. I don't really know. Who's I, Mr. Peel? Does he show up at all? No, I don't think he does. And it's weird because there's. Like this sexual tension between her and maybe she's a widower. I should really know more about this, but I feel like Mr. Peel never shows up. Anyway, it's about um, Emma Peel and John Steed. Emma Peel is a cute, sexy mod lady, and she wears like a cat suit. Um, And uh, John Steed is just sort of this old-fashioned, quintessential... um, British he's just, guy. He's just really, really, he's really British. Really English. English. And he walks around with a bowler hat, and he's always got a bumper shoot. Bowler hat and bumper shoot. That's uh, a, a that's bumper an umbrella. Shoot is an umbrella. Um, and and he like he he's very very proper and proper in the sense that he's old fashioned and kind of misogynistic, but he knows how to fight <laughs> and solve mysteries sometimes. Um, usually they just beat people up and then, you know, it was a very silly show. Uh, they had to fight spies who, I mean, um, let's see, the last time we played the Avengers, we did, we did a show called, um, Stop Me If You Heard This One, which was about John Steed and Emma Peel having to fend off this syndicate of retired vaudeville actors who were carrying out... Um, these series of murders on real estate developers. And so the two assassins would always show up like old vaudeville clowns. And just before they, you know, and then they would always do some sort of stupid gag, right? Like a vaudeville gag. And be like, oh, so would you like this cigar? And then it would explode. Or they'd, like, a guy would be out duck hunting and they'd make fake duck noises. And the hunter would come over there with his gun and they'd shoot him, you know. And then they'd always leave the scene of the murder by putting on their hats and going, da-da-da-da-da-da, we're very, very sad that we have to leave you, but when you gotta go, you gotta go. So it was just a, it's a completely ridiculous show. Uh, and this particular episode is called The Joker. Now, from the makers of Coldwater Omo... The ugly old kitchen clock looked down on the scullery of the house. The room had seen better days. Days when it had been filled with sounds of servants' chatter, the clatter of cooking utensils and trays piled with crockery, the smells of good food and the heat of the coal stoves and steam boilers. Now it was different. Electrical appliances had replaced the old-fashioned methods but the room was still dominated by a large, scrubbed wooden table. A shadow fell across it. The shadow of a man. He held a candlestick in one hand, and by the flickering light, he gazed at the glossy cover of a magazine. He placed the candle on the table and opened the magazine. Mm. Yes... Yes, it's here somewhere. The man stopped at an article in the magazine and read, Better Bridge with Applied Mathematics by Mrs. Emma Peel. There, sure enough, was a photograph of Mrs. Peel. 
a very lush, full-page colour reproduction. It was an attractive pose, and from the dimpled smile and twinkling eyes, it was clear that Mrs. Peel knew quite a lot more about life than how to play bridge. The man's hands lingered over the page, stroking the glossy surface of Mrs. Peel's face. Then... He ripped the page from the magazine and with a pair of kitchen scissors began to cut the picture into small pieces. When the page lay in fragments on the table, the large, hairy hands reached out and began to reassemble the picture. He chuckled as he worked. <laughs> Twisting the features, rearranging them, an eye appeared in the centre of the forehead, an ear sat on one cheek, and a hank of hair grew from the pink lips. It became a monstrous, sinister, obscene jigsaw. The owner of the hairy hands clenched them until the gnarled knuckles turned white. His laughter grew wilder. He seized a kitchen knife and hacked at the pieces in a frenzy of madness. Someone doesn't like you, Mrs. Peel. The Avengers. John Steed and Emma Peel, The Avengers. Episode one of this story, in which John Steed is forced to sit out the first round of the game, and Emma Peel suspects that somewhere in the background lurks a joker. On a rather misty morning, Emma Peel drove carefully across London to John Steed's mule's apartment. She was dressed in a warm, dark red trouser suit with a gay scarf at the neck. She looked very like the recent photographs of herself that appeared in the glossy magazines. She was in a carefree mood and hummed quite cheerfully as she parked the car outside Steed's home. A few moments later, John Steed, who was upstairs, heard the front doorbell ring. Coming! Steed made his way downstairs quite quickly. Too quickly, perhaps. Halfway downstairs, Steed tripped, lost his balance and fell heavily, dragging a few ornaments with him. He landed painfully on one ankle. It promptly gave way. Mrs. Peel, hearing the crash, tried the door. It opened. Steed? Steve, what's happened? Mrs. Peel, you are needed. What on earth have you done? Came downstairs to answer the door. Forgot it wasn't locked. I fell. Hurt my ankle. Mm. Well, let's have a look. Ooh, nasty. Yeah, painful, too. Come on, let's get you up into a chair. Oh. Ooh. 
Bath? Well, you look clean enough. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, I don't know about a wheelchair, but you must certainly keep off that leg for a while. There. <clears throat> Better? Uh, thanks. <sighs> Lucky you didn't break it. As it is, your tango may be irreparably damaged. Tango? I'm not as old hat as all that. I'm getting with it. Well, it's obvious that you got as far as the twist. This ankle's very badly sprained. What do we do about it? Get a doctor? No, get a drink. Over there, three, three fingers of scotch. Right. What uh, brought you here this misty morning? Well, I was going to ask you to drive me down to Exmoor. Here, that should kill the pain a bit. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. <clears throat> mm. I suppose I shall have to take myself down there now. Exmoor? Who the devil is in Exmoor? Sir Cavalier Rausicana. He sounds like an opera. He's probably the greatest bridge player in Europe. He read my article that appeared in a magazine lately. Anyway, he wants to meet me. Oh? He's invited me down to his house for the weekend. Oh. Sir Cavalier is 75. Oh. Just the same. Be careful. You know what a rejuvenating effect you have on people. I mean, look at me. I, I feel better already. Hardly any pain in the leg at all. Well, almost not. It's quite a privilege to meet Sir Cavalier. He hardly ever sees anyone. Well, he could have a very small fan mail. Well, if you're dead set on this jaunt, I suppose you better get going. Oh, don't let me delay you. Uh, sure you'll be all right? Quite sure. Now, you run along and enjoy yourself. I only wish I was coming with you, but... Oh, well, it was not to be, thanks to those blasted stairs. Bye, Mrs. Peel. Goodbye, Steve. Mrs. Peel left. A short while later, she was driving through the cold English countryside, her scarf catching the breeze, a smile on her face. Could it be that she rather liked going without John Steed? Careful, Mrs. Peel, you may regret this newfound freedom. As for Steed, back in his apartment, he hobbled painfully across the room to the cigar humidor. He selected one, poured himself another brandy, lit the cigar, and was about to enjoy both when the doorbell rang again. Steed limped across the room, down the small passage, and opened the door. George. George Fancy. Hello, Steed. Oh, come in, come in. Nice to see you. Go ahead. I'll have to hobble up from behind. Oh, what's happened? You run into counter-espionage, tangled with the minions of a mastermind? Oh, something far more sinister. Uh, I fell down the stairs. My word, you weren't... Uh, uh, certainly not. But speaking of a drink, would you like one? Oh, uh, well, thanks. Yes, just one. You wouldn't like to help yourself, would you? Just poured myself one. Oh, uh, yes, 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 of course. Ah, I hope it's not inconvenient calling like this. Oh, it's a pleasure. As you see, I'm confined to barracks at the moment. Yes. Well, actually, I only called to uh, warn you. Cheers. Cheers. Um, warn me of what? Remember Max Prendergast? <laughs> Remember? Impossible to forget him. He's out. Out? Of prison? Broke jail two days ago. Two days ago? The French authorities didn't think to tell us until they realized he's heading this way. Steed? We're pretty sure he's here, in London. Hmm, Max Prendergast. You know the kind of man he is? That mad, warped sense of humor? Oh, yes, I know. Of all people, I know. Steed, will you tell Mrs. Peel? Mrs. Peel? Well, she was more involved with Prendergast than anyone. She ought to be warned, don't you think? Yes. Yes, I do. I'll tell her on Monday. She'll be tucked away quite safely in the country for the next couple of days. I'll tell her on Monday. No point in spoiling her weekend. Hmm, Max Prendergast, eh? 
I don't like the idea of him on the loose. Not one little bit. Mrs. Peel had had quite a tiring drive. Her good spirits had begun to wilt as the mist turned into fog. She lost her way a couple of times down the country lanes and was quite relieved when at last she found a sign pointing off the road which read Rousicana Hall. She turned up the drive and minutes later parked the car. The house looked impressive, what she could see of it. She ran up the steps, carrying her weekend case, and rang the doorbell. While she waited, she glanced around, peering out into the fog. She was quite unaware that in the laurel bushes, not more than a few yards away, a man was peering back at her. Two large, hairy hands parted the branches, and then the door opened. Good afternoon. I'm Emma Peel. Oh, hello. Um, Sir Cavalier is expecting me. Yes, he told me. Do come in. That's if you want to. Well, that was the idea of coming down here. And with this fog... I love fog. They're cosy. This way. The interior of the house was dim and shadowy. Heavy antique furniture filled the hall and the main rooms. The strange young lady led Mrs. Peel into a slightly more cheerful-looking drawing room and closed the door. My name's Ola. Ola Monzi Chamberlain. Isn't it a shriek? <laughs> Monzi was a pirate. <laughs> I was lying on the bed when you rang the bell. Oh, sorry. I'm a bit late, I'm afraid. Got lost a couple of times. Oh, I'm not surprised. This place is the end of the world, isn't it? I'm not surprised you got lost. I like your coat. Oh, uh, thank you. I was reading an Italian book. I don't understand Italian, but I love reading it aloud. The words sound so nice. They roll off the tongue. Do you play bridge? Yes. I hate bridge. You're not a dentist, are you? Uh, no, why? Well, I have two fillings. It needs seeing to. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't be any help to you, Miss Chamberlain. Don't you think you should tell Sir Cavalier that I'm here? Oh, my goodness. Didn't I mention it? He isn't here. He was called away this morning, a meeting in town. The IBPC, the... Uh... International Bridge Players Convention. Uh, yes. I see. <laughs> when will he be back? Oh, sometime tonight, I think. Oh, he apologised. Would you like to see your room now? I hope you like the old homestead. Oh, I mean, it's, it's very impressive. There you are being kind. It's sinister and old and filled with dead things. Yes, the dead could live here very easily. An ideal place for a murder, I always think. <laughs> I'm sure you'll agree before you've been here for long. This way. Well, that was understated. You're listening to the K-Worth Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. That's Kilo Whiskey Uniform Romeo. Yeah. Yes. You can access our website at www.kwur.com. You're listening to the K-Worth Theater of the Air, as I said again. And now we're going to take a short musical break.
a spooky one about stalking. Here we go. <laughs> when you come up from the dance, sit in the halls and make a romance. When you do the thing you shouldn't do, peekaboo, I'm watching you. When you ought to be in school, learning about the golden rule. When you tell the telling is the truth, peekaboo, I'm watching you. Look in the dark, you see my face. Don't try to hide, I'm every place. Play cool, time is sweet. I'm gonna give you my face. Hope you heard the things I said. Now listen again, you're being ordered. When you dance, it's all that I'm shoot. Peekaboo, I'm watching you. In the dark, you see my face. Don't try to hide. I'm every place. Play cool. Time is sweet. I'm gonna give you a drink. Hope you learn the things I said. Now listen again, you're being hard-headed. When you dance, the sun right off your shoes. Peekaboo, I'm watching you. Do the thing you shouldn't do. Peekaboo, I'm watching you. Do the thing you shouldn't do. I'm watching you. <laughs> Healthy eyes and clear vision are important for the child learning to read, the adult at work on a computer, and the senior at risk for an age-related eye condition. Comprehensive eye exams are an important part of the overall health care routine at every stage of life. Exams can detect vision problems that, if caught early, can be treated. This was a message from the American Optometric Association. You are listening to Kilo Whiskey. Uniform Romeo 90.3 FM Clayton Boop This is the Kaywer Theater of the Air. We're having a spy show. We're having a blast too. Oh yeah. We're okay. about to have a blast. We are about you. listeners, you are about to have your minds collectively blown. Okay. Like yeah. a a claymore mine. <laughs> Of fun is about to go off under your unsuspecting feet. When, I present we, you when with, we said this episode would self-destruct, this is the part we were talking about. Yeah. So, um, over winter break, I was back home in my uh, in the Chicago suburb where uh, I am from, and I went to one of my very favorite places in town, which is this Half Price Bookstore, which is called Half Price Books. Shameless plug. Um. And one of the greatest things about Half Price Books is they have a a bargain bin, a – what's the word I'm looking for? They have – They have a clearance aisle. They, they have a, an area of books that are especially half-priced. Yes. Um, 
where, guess where, I guess I guess this is the publishing equivalent of half. the USDA's condemned meats policy. <laughs> they had these books in a bin, and I found this this iUniverse published that means it's self published book called Mantle of Spies, and we'll probably scan this. Uh, you this you cover should see the cover of this book, ladies and, and put gentlemen, it on the blog. because it's remarkable. It's just wow. There's I'm a, looking at it right now. There's and, a lady and words with a escape me. There's rose a lady with a rose and sunglasses and like a submarine in the rain and some birds and it's all like horrible clip art that's been photoshopped together poorly. Did I mention did we mention the name of the book? Yes. Mantle of Spies. Mantle of Spies by, by Harold E. Adler. And we're going to Play. What, is, what is this book about? Well, so what we're going to do is, I'm not sure if you guys, listeners, remember the Eye of Argon um, game that we played last year when uh, Alex was still with us, which was this completely ridiculous and awful fantasy short story. Uh, and of course, let me let me be clear: we're not going to read this entire novel. We're probably going to read like the first chapter or two. Um, but it was very poorly written, and it became a party game where you would read this terrible thing, and then when you laugh, you pass it to the next person. Right, and then they read it, and when they laugh, they pass it to the next person, and so on. So uh, I'm going to read to you the um, the blurb on the back cover. I mean, that that's usually a pretty good place to start to find out where what this book is about. Yeah. Shouldn't give that much away. No. Inside the Oval Office, a seasoned spymaster learns that a blackmailer has resurfaced from the Cold War days. To thwart this blackmail scheme aimed at maligning the Secretary of State, the spymaster has a two-day window to find the blackmailer. If the blackmailer doesn't receive his ransom, he will torpedo a luxury cruise liner in the Pacific Ocean. All right, that sounds pretty cool. Prior to this meeting, the spymaster received covert, inf- covert information about a missing Russian sub. With a race against time, the spymaster assigns special agent Ensign Nick McMasters for this intricate assignment. McMasters locates the blackmailer at a jazz festival in Mexico. <laughs> the trick is to subdue the blackmailer with specially made, state-of-the-art, newly developed mind-controlling lenses. <laughs> I laughed and I'm not even I, I would like blur. to point out at this, at this juncture... That uh, we have just spent like a paragraph of the summary with a character who is not the main character. Yes? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I can't even do it. The trick is to uh, – you already said that. The old spy master who orchestrated the assignment talks to a Russian general about their Cold War blackmailer and their missing submarine. If the hypnotic state works, the blackmailer releases secret information. After which, McMasters desperately hunts for the moored Russian submarines uh, – for the moored Russian submarine in the coastal waters of Mexico. <laughs> Is that the whole blurb? That's the entire blurb. That's the whole story. Which is the entire plot of the book. I, 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 I don't know if we can fully convey on the radio how ridiculous this is. I think you need to read Harold Adler's um, author bio. From 1971 to 1973, Harold E. Adler worked on intelligence matters while in the U.S. Navy. Learning about covert activities, he developed an interest in the intelligence game. His first book... Alone on Watch was a widely accepted novel about <laughs> counterfeiting. Widely I'm sorry, widely accepted. what? Widely accepted novel. Presently, the author lives in Texas with his wife and enjoys sailing and gathering material for his third spy novel. Okay. No! What do you mean, no? I think the answer is yes. 
All right, so I'm opening the book. It says, To Paul, enjoy this read. Buena suerte. All the best. Harold E. Adler, vaya con Dios. So the this author, is a signed copy. The that author I got himself for... signed this book, and David found it in the dirt cheap bargain bin. I got this for a dollar. Of the half price bookstore. This was published in 2003. Which I guess shows you what good friends these men were. Yeah. I wonder who Paul was. Maybe Paul got like 40 copies and sold the wrong one. Mm. Acknowledgements. This type of spy fiction steps on people's toes. The author's intent was not to harm America's intelligence capacity, but to continue to open America's eyes to the evil that does exist. Skipping ahead. A large amount of gratitude goes to Dr. Richard C. Collier. Without his deep dedication in therapeutic optometry, professional care, and endless research, the author could not have understood the basics of binary vision. Thanks for the help along the way. Um, uh, yes, oh, this is the best part. A final word of thanks goes to my wife, Kathleen, who endured my early morning writings until the completion of this book. She deserves a sharp hand salute from the baseball cap. You're filthy. You're filthy. Okay. I'm going to start reading until I giggle. But what's amazing is that there's a very long list of supposed experts that he yeah, there's was one, in touch two, with three, four, uh, five, in order six, to seven, write this book. And oh yeah, the name of his um the name of his editor incidentally is Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin. The author's there's, the author's editor Ben Franklin deserves ben a special Franklin. nod. Yeah? Yeah. That's pretty funny. He's uh English, oddly enough. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's like a huge page of acknowledgments. There's a very long list of experts who he theoretically consulted to write this book, and you'll see why that's hilarious once we begin reading. David? Dr. Judy's cell phone chirped in the hall next to the Oval Office. As he answered the caller, the distance voice whispered he had hot information to sell. Recalling 49 years of backstreet intelligence work, David, will you do sound effects? Um, yes. Dr. Judy's mind raced to recognize the caller. The unknown weathered voice grew stronger. That's mind racing. No. It's, it sounds like a race car. No. The unknown weathered voice grew stronger over the telephone, but Dr. Judy could only detect a Swiss-Italian border accent. He knew he would have to pay for this information if he wanted it. The caller would not give his information for free. This juicy tip would be frosting on the cake if the news media got a hold of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. doing sound effects. I'm being I know, helpful. I know. I laughed, though. Okay. This juicy tidbit would be frosting this on the cake. This juicy tip would be frosting on the cake if the news media got hold of it. If the Pentagon had this piece of intel, it would be classified as top secret. Dr. Judy realized this news was valuable. He understood people could get hurt. The offering price was 50000 U.S. dollars. What the caller told him was the truth about a new screen in the Atlantic Ocean. The British and Americans filtered the Soviet submarines into a 50-yard line between Iceland, Greenland, and the U.S. northern coastline. This mutual defensive line runs 12,900, I'm sorry, uh, 1,290 nautical miles across the ocean. All Russian subs run through the 50-yard line. We wait, uh, we wait long hours in the cold water with our sonar, listening for the Russian subs to cross the line. Seldom does an adversary pass through undetected but rather is identified by one of our subs and followed. Dr. Judy's eyes shifted slowly to the left and then to the right, making sure no one heard his conversation in the hall. So you are saying one sub got through the 50-yard line? Yep. How did they get through? They went deep. Too deep. 
and evaded detection from acoustic sounding devices. Or the sub ran close to Newfoundland through the Grand Banks, maybe hiding next to an iceberg. In these icy cold waters, a four million ton iceberg can drift at speeds of one mile an hour. If you can see through the fog, the visible mass of the iceberg is the top 10%, or 135 feet. An iceberg may stretch 400 feet in length. Anyway, the sub moved undetected, <laughs> slipping by Nova Scotia. Wait, wait, wait. Is this the Swiss Italian guy? <laughs> yes. This is still this is still the Swiss Italian guy. I should I should give him a Swiss Italian border accent. Yes, of course. If you can manage that. God, I don't even know. Um, um, he could be a francophone Swiss if you want. If that makes it easier. Anyway, the sub moved on detected, slipping by Nova Scotia, hugging the eastern coastline past Miami, then off to South America. Somehow they know, to, they know how to get across. Do we have a deal? The caller pressed the issue of his money. Where is the Russian submarine? Dr. Judy heard the caller blow smoke from his cigarette into the receiver. At night, it surfaces to breathe in an inlet on the Pacific side of Mexico. <laughs> Dr. Judy's eyes rolled to the ceiling. And we don't know about this? That's right. Even the Russians don't know about the missing submarine. Are you going to tell the president? Not yet. Now, do we have a deal? Yes. I'll pay you the money. The colored... <laughs> <laughs> My turn. This is so stupid. I know. Well, this next part, I mean. Oh, I just like that he's willing to pay this guy like $50,000 sight unseen. How much money is he asking for? Wasn't I believe it, that? it was 50000 That's not that much. But continue because it gets better. Now do we have a deal? Yes, I'll pay you the money. The caller gave Dr. Judy his bank account number. What? He would call him back on the location of the submarine once the money was transferred. Wow. It was early to... These people are dumb. These people dumb. It was early Tuesday afternoon in Washington, D.C., as Robert Judy stood at ease, prepared to meet the president. Oh, Dr. Judy is a man. Mm. He stared at the white paint. Well, we knew that. He did say he. Oh, come on. He stared at the white painted doors of the Oval Office with his eagle eyes ready. Ah! His deep voice solid with answers and his clever mind ready with solutions. Um. Exposition! <laughs> Sorry. Dr. Judy inspected his five-year-old black lace-up shoes. He had forgotten to, uh, to polish them. He quietly scolded himself. The president would keep him on his toes. Dr. Judy carried his old beat-up leather briefcase, the one he used in the Kennedy administration for good luck. One hand held a tight grip on the handle. His other hand was jammed inside his pants pocket. His fingertips fumbled with a small, chewed-up old cement sliver. What? Oh. This cement sliver was his memento from the Cold War. Suddenly, the doors opened. It was showtime. Seated behind a oh, huge... Oh, Thank you. Seated behind a huge wooden desk was the President of the United States. He was on the telephone. As he looked up and recognized Dr. Judy, he waved him in. A faceless aide motioned with his hands for Dr. Oh Judy... Oh, my to- God! <laughs> For Dr. Judy Oh my to- god, what is wrong with that man's face? <laughs> I don't know. Bottom of page a two. Faceless aid. Oh god. A faceless aide motioned with his hands for Dr. Judy Tenter because he couldn't speak because he had no face. 
Dr. Judy stood at attention three feet from the president's desk. He glanced outside. His eyes caught a bird flying past the window toward a nearby tree. He watched the bird land and balance itself on a limb. Somehow, he felt the same way. Out on a limb. Exposition. The telephone conversation ended. The president looked up. Finally, some peace and quiet. I've been on the phone for an hour. He gave. I, half- I feel like that's supposed to be President Bush. Actually, should I should I do a President Bush? If you can. I'm George Bush, and welcome to America. <laughs> Finally, some peace and quiet. I've been on the phone for an hour. This is this is awful. That's terrible. Um, he gave half a smile to his guest. Good to see you again, Doctor Judy. He did not stand to shake his hand, but rocked back and relaxed in his presidential chair. <laughs> It has been some time since we saw one another, Mr. President. They're just down the hall from each other. He set his briefcase down next to his foot. He clasped his hands together. Yes, it has. I think the last time we saw one another was over a year ago at the state dinner for the new president of Mexico, Vicente Fox. I distinctly remember at the close of the dinner, someone yelled as loud as he could, Remember the Alamo! When he walked out of the dinning room hall... It is it is spelled dinning room. Many thanks to editor Ben Franklin for his eagle eye composition. Holding up a bottle of Chardonnay. Vincente Fox looked... Vincente... I can't say Vincente Fox. Vincente Fox looked at me as if it was my fault that you shot your mouth off that evening. You're right. It was a nice dinner. Dr. Judy grinned. The wine was superb. I must admit, I took a bottle home with me. I drank it with a good steak the next night. Oh, Chardonnay with steak? What's wrong with you, Dr. Judy? So you're the one who took the last bottle. Anyway, I'm glad to know you took the last bottle of wine. He leaned back in his chair, closed his eyes, and stretched his arms for a moment. He came forward and opened his desk drawer. Here, the president handed several letters to Dr. Judy. Tell me what you think. Dr. Judy stood and focused on the typeset one-paragraph letters. He glanced at the postmarks on the envelopes. Only two letters? He pitched the letters on the president's desk. Should, should should we? I think we're running out of time. Are we running out of time? Is there is there a good place to stop there? I don't know. Dun, 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 Here, dun, you you dun. decide if there's a good place to stop. Hmm. Yes, I think I see exactly where we can stop. Only two letters. He pitched the letters on the envelope on the president's desk. So far, anybody else know about this? Only about five, four or five people. I see. He crossed his arms over his chest. I need your help. The president rested his hands on his desk. The Secretary of State is in Middle East trying to develop a plan for peace. I can't have him worried about these letters. I want him focused on negotiations between Israel and Palestine. Can you help him? I take it the FBI looked at the letters in the envelopes. Yes, they did. Only to tell me the type of paper it is printed on. He rubbed his forehead several times and looked across the room. Eight and a half by eleven, sixty-five pound office paper with ink from a laser jet printer from any copy center. The postmark 37-cent stamps are from Cheyenne, Wyoming, in Hanford, California. No fingerprints. You can tell we have a lot to go on. How about Jack Watson of the CIA? Dr. Judy glanced into the president's tired black eyes. Jack Watson said they'll put their feelers out and ask their analysts if anyone knows who could be the blackmailer. Bottom line, the CIA doesn't know. All right. Let's play the music. Yeah, I think, I think that's, a, that's a good place to stop. We can pick this up later, I think, if we wish. I believe so. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the mantle of spies. 
And this has been the K-Word Theater of the Air. It is true. A production of KWUR 90.3 FM. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm David Brunel Brutman. David, what are our credits for this week? Well, David, the shoe phone switchboard operator for the K-Word Theater of the Air this week was Agent 86, Maxwell Smart. <laughs> our bear wrangler this week was Brock Sampson. And our over-the-counter intelligence agent was Natasha Fatal. What about me? No one ever mentions Boris. How come you know to mention Boris? Boris, darling, it is not my fault. I was only nominated. I did not even get the chance to nominate you. Well, I want a chance to be nominated. Don't I work hard? Don't I try to destroy Moose and Squirrel the same as you? All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> have a great week. <laughs> See you next time. Oh, I do Boris laugh. Boris laugh never ends. You're listening to Kilo Whiskey Underpants Radio.